Okay. Hi, friends. Welcome back and welcome to the first ever um, mini-sode that I'm going to do. So I realized that as I have been uh, writing about Lambrusco this week and I start to go back to work full-time as things sort of open up here in Ontario a teensy bit, they're closed down again now, but that doesn't mean I don't have a lot of work to do to sort of get things up and running. Uh, It's going to be hard for me to keep putting up full weekly episodes uh, or full-length episodes. So uh, I've been doing a lot of fun research on grape origins recently, and it seems like every episode I write, I just get sort of like more and more into grape origins and family trees, like which grapes parented which other grape, uh, and how they related to, you know, uh, flavors and their their offspring grapes. And I don't really, I really don't want to rush through writing episodes, but I also don't want to stop posting every week. Uh, so we're borrowing from a format that so many other podcasts have leaned on, and that is the mini-sode format. Uh, This way I get to make an episode every week, and I don't have to worry about not having researched my full-length episodes enough. So uh, we still get to do some wine learning. So uh, before I go on, I do have a correction. Yes, a correction uh, from last episode. I have to admit that sometimes I am not uh, perfect, but last episode we talked about frangicorda, and I honestly, I went back and I looked at my notes for the episode, and it wasn't a case of having read my notes wrong. Uh, I actually did write this figure down, but I that said, I said that frangicorda makes 6.7 million bottles of frangicorda a year, and that is just not true. (laughs) That actually sounds like a lot, uh, but it's actually hardly any wine at all. That probably uh, is the entire production of like just one large frangicorda house. Uh, So I I went back, I did some uh, back to fact checking. And in 2018, it was 17.8 million bottles produced in the entirety of frangicorda, which is actually still quite small considering that the episode before Frangicorda, we were talking about Beaujolais, and that produces more than 25 million bottles of Beaujolais, just Beaujolais Nouveau, every year. So yeah, Frangicorda, bigger than 6.7 million, uh, but definitely small in the grand scheme of things. I also got a a teensy bit of feedback for calling it Italy's premier uh, sparkling wine region, and rightfully so. (laughs) Sparkling wine, all wine, really. Uh, is subjective, uh, but they Frangicorda markets themselves as Italy's premier sparkling wine region. Uh, that said, are there days where I rather drink Lambrusco over Frangicorda? Yes, <laughs> sometimes. And are there days where sometimes all I want to do is drink Prosecco? Yes, sometimes. So, I mean, take that with what you will, but I think they're trying to lean on uh, you know, wanting to be champagne, but not being champagne. Uh, but that said, I can talk forever about uh, corrections and basically anything related to wine. But this is a mini-sode, so I cannot talk forever. So let's get into the Pinot family of grapes. So I have mentioned before that there are many types of Pinot. And this is common knowledge if you know about wine, but I think I have to give it a quick preface when I'm talking about how we get the grapes that we get. Grapes, or vitis vinifera, have a male and a female plant, which means that they pollinate. You need two parts of the genetic code of each plant to get a seed that becomes an entirely new genetic grape. Basically, the same as humans, the offspring will have a genetic part of each plant. When a grower finds a grape that they really like, 
a grape that makes, you know, really nice wine or maybe is a little bit drought resistant or has some good qualities, what they do is they don't cross it, but they propagate it, which means they take clippings of the grape and make it into a new grapevine. Over time, after many clippings have been taken off plant after plant after plant, there is usually a mutation. So there is, in essence, two ways to look at a family of grapes. You can trace it through its offspring grapes, and then you can also trace it through its mutations. And the Pinot family has both of these. They are called an amplographic group. Pinot is one of the ancient grapes of France, and people have been propagating this grape for a very long time. There are at present 1,000 registered and recognized clones of Pinot out there in the world, and they apply to grapes that are nearly genetically identical. The clone of Pinot Noir you might be getting in Burgundy might be very different in more ways than one from the clone of Pinot Noir you are drinking from Central Otago in New Zealand. Though both are similar enough to share the same name on the wine label, this is referred to as a biotype. Uh, the same grape, but ever so slightly different, but not a complete mutation if that makes sense. The original Pinot is thought to be over 2,000 years old and is a grape that is highly susceptible to mutation, which means that as we are drinking wine now, we may never know exactly what an ancient Pinot tasted like, though I think a lot of us in our minds associate it with Pinot Noir. For all we know, this ancient grape that spawned all these wines that we love uh, may very well have been a white grape. It's just not really known because it is so old. We do know that the most common and most famous mutations of that ancient Pinot are some of the grapes that we drink and love today. And they are, of course, Pinot Noir, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Gris, Pinot Meunier, and two others that are maybe a little bit less common, but Pinot Noir Precoce and Pinot Tenturier. Of course, other countries have named these with their own languages, which makes it seem like there are even more Pinots out there than there actually are. So in German and Italian, Pinot Noir might be Spätburgunder, or it might be Pinot Nero. Pinot Blanc might be Pinot Bianco, or it might be Weissburgunder. Pinot Gris <laughs> might be Grauburgunder. And uh, Pinot Meunier, though we might uh, not necessarily think of this grape as like a table wine grape, is one of the grapes that is most commonly found in Champagne. And it's called Meunier uh, because Meunier is uh, in French the miller, milling uh, wheat or milling flour. And Pinot Meunier, the genetic mutation of this grape, the leaves and the grapes get this sort of white powdery residue on them, almost like flour from the miller. It's like a very, I don't know, I like little stories like that. Now, they are still trying to find out where the original Pinot came from. And they're starting to pin it down to somewhere around Paris. And they believe that it may have been a wild vine at first that was domesticated. But that is less important than what it did once it was planted for vineyards and domesticated. Pinot Noir and Gouet Blanc, another ancient grape, were often planted together, and they spontaneously created the offspring grapes of some pretty famous wines. Chardonnay, uh, Auxerrois, which is famous in Alsace, Gamay Noir, which we've talked about in the Beaujolais episode, Romorantin, which we talked about in the Loire, uh, Aligote, which is often associated with Chardonnay as it is the sort of uh, other white grape of Burgundy, and Melon de Bourgogne, which we also talked about when we talked about the Pays Nantes and the Loire. And those are just the famous ones. <laughs> there are about 30 others uh, that are pretty obscure or have died out over the years. 
So already we're seeing that Pinot has a pretty illustrious family. These are serious grapes that are being grown still and make really quality wines. Uh, but it does not stop there. These grapes also went on to have crossings and make some pretty famous grapes. Pinot is the grandparent of Turaldigo from northern Italy, uh, Marzamino, which is also an Italian grape, and also a grape called Dureza. Now, we know from our Northern Rhone episode that Dureza, a now not very popular grape, is a genetic parent of what grape? Syrah. And Syrah is a huge grape planted all over the world, and it is the great-grandchild of Pinot. Shut the front door. Ugh, I love this stuff. So, in southern Germany, there is an ancient grape called Savagnin, S-A-V-A-G-N-I-N. And that grape is still grown today, and you can find wines that are made out of it. And this, through genetic testing, is thought also to be an offspring of the Pinot grape. Savagnin, however, is the parent grape of Sylvaner, of Chenin Blanc, another pretty famous grape, and of Sauvignon Blanc. You know, just some, just a casual Sauvignon Blanc. But Sauvignon Blanc is the parent of Cabernet Sauvignon, which means that Pinot is also the grandparent or great-grandparent of Cabernet Sauvignon. So Pinot is everywhere. <laughs> it's basically the, uh, the theme of this little mini episode. So that's the Pinot family tree. Uh, they're discovering more about grape origins, and now it is commonly believed that all grapes we drink today come from a small set of foundational grapes, and that Pinot, or some version of what we know as Pinot today, was indeed one of these foundational grapes. So if you're liking this first ever mini-sode on Grape Origins, then like, rate, and subscribe because this podcast is 100% independent. And that is the best way you can support the show and everything that I do. Uh, corrections, send them along to housewinepodcast at gmail.com or look me up at housewinepodcast on Instagram. And just know that whatever you are drinking this week, there's probably a little bit of Pinot in it. And I'll see you next Monday for a very special episode on Lambrusco. Have a great week, guys.